This is MSCI Perspectives, your source for insights for global investors and access to research and expertise from across the investment industry. I'm your host, Adam Bass, and today is October 27th, 2022. In case you haven't heard, there's a new prime minister in the UK. Rishi Sunak has the distinction not only of being Britain's first prime minister of color, but also of following the prime minister with the shortest tenure. Liz Truss, you could say, was pushed out in large part by the bond and currency markets. So what exactly happened and, more importantly, what happens now? We sat with MSCI researchers Demetrius Mellis and Thomas Verbrocken to find out. Okay, so Demetrius and Thomas, thank you for, for joining us. Thomas, uh, you've been a pretty regular guest all year. Uh, we always love having you on. And Demetrius, it's, it's been a while, so welcome back. It's great to be back. Likewise, I like being here. For purposes of our listeners, I'd like to start off by just asking each of you to introduce yourself very briefly, remind the folks at home who you are. Dimitris, why don't we start with you? Certainly. I'm Dimitris Melas, based in uh, London in the UK, and I run Index Research and Product Development at MSCI. I have been with MSCI for the last 16 years, and it's been an incredible period in, in markets, but also for uh, the products and services we provide to investors. And I'm Thomas Verbracken. I'm nine years with, uh, with MSCI now, and I work in the risk management solutions research team. I'm focusing also a lot on what's happening in markets and how we can help investors managing and navigating all the uncertainty that's going on now. Uncertainty is definitely the topic we're here to talk about today. But one thing we do know for sure, we should say we're recording this on Monday, October 24th the day that we learned that we would have yet another new prime minister in the UK, Rishi Sunak, was named. And certainly historic appointment on, on many levels. But politics aside, let's jump into how the markets are interpreting this. I know sterling was up, the gilt yields were down, but is this just a sigh of relief or is there something else going on? I think it's certainly a sigh of relief. And in fact, uh, markets reacted positively when uh, Boris Johnson, our, uh, one of our past prime ministers, withdrew his um, uh, candidacy to become yet again the prime minister. So once that announcement went out, I think markets assumed that uh, we would have hopefully a period of stability and uh, reacted positively. I think in, in Europe more generally, um, we should be prepared for, for similar episodes. So what happened in the UK was uh, basically the, the mini budget announced, which you know made markets move. And then we had that sell-off in, in guilds, which then at the pension funds, which were having some leverage, it triggered some, some margin calls, collateral calls, and then uh, they had to sell more. So we had that feedback loop. And I think um, that's something that you know, investors worldwide are keeping an eye on because you know, in, in these uncertain times, when there's leverage, when there are liquidity constraints potentially, and when there's crowding, that could lead to very volatile markets. And it's definitely something investors should keep an eye on. Now let's, let's back up a little bit to, to the story. Liz Truss comes in after Boris Johnson resigns early September. Dimitris, can you, can you walk us through a little bit high level? What, what, what's happened in the six, seven weeks since then? 
it might be worth reminding ourselves and our listeners uh, of the global context. You know, going back uh, 40 years, we had the period of uh, what has come to be known as the Great Moderation between 1980 and 2020. Low inflation, low interest rates, growing economies, and pretty good performance across uh, most uh, asset classes and markets. Of course, we had cyclical peaks and troughs. We had recessions in the early 90s, early 2000s, more recently the global financial crisis. But Overall, you know, we enjoyed a very long period of low inflation, low interest rates, good economic growth, and pretty good market performance. Now, all of that, of course, changed in the last two or three years. We suffered globally uh, some uh, pretty severe supply shocks, as economists call them. The rest of us call them shocks. So we had, of course, the pandemic, the invasion of Ukraine, China that had been the, uh, the engine of uh, global economic growth for, you know, the last uh, 15, 20 years at least is experiencing a pretty severe slowdown. And then also we've had the last few years, the trade war between the tension between US, China, uh, in terms of uh, trade and, and putting up barriers. In the UK, in addition to these global supply shocks, of course, we can add another self-inflicted inflicted supply shock, which was uh, Brexit. And then given that backdrop, we have a new prime minister coming to power in the UK in early September, as you said, Adam. And swiftly announcing some pretty big unfunded tax cuts and uh, increases in government spending. Now, you know, if you don't need the PhD in economics, if you cut government revenues from taxes and at the same time you increase government spending, well, the only way to pay for these expenditures is through higher borrowing. So markets immediately reacted, you know, uh, and, and we had this uh, sharp decline in, uh, in UK government bonds called yields and also a decline in, in sterling. And that was literally the day the mini budget was announced on September 23rd, the markets reacted. Then during the, the weekend after the September 23rd, actually the, uh, the finance minister went to the media. And in fact, rather than trying to calm the markets down, he sort of doubled down on his policies. He said that actually there's more tax cuts to come and this is the only way to promote growth. And then, of course, the following week, we had even more, you know, swift and severe uh, market uh, declines. And this led uh, to a liquidity crisis for these LDI strategies that some uh, defined benefit pension funds in the UK use to match assets with liabilities. And that's pretty much where we, we are at the moment or where we were until a few days ago. Now, as you mentioned, the UK, the world, was not in great shape economically, even before all of this with, with the back and forth at uh, 10 Downing Street. So I guess the question is, what, if anything, can Sunak do? If we take a step back, of course, we have the government sector and the private sector. In the private sector, we have three main actors. We have consumers, we have companies, and we have investors, right? The private sector, they just need one thing from, from uh, this new administration. In fact, from any government administration. And that one thing is stability, certainty, right? So I think that's really the greatest thing that, you know, Sunak and, and the new administration can bring, some stability, some certainty, even some uh, dullness, right? We've, we've had, I think, more than enough excitement in British politics. So let's hope that we will now go into a period of stability and, and even dullness. Dullness, yeah. I think uh, the, was it the FT that talked about the dullness dividend? Is that right? Uh, exactly, yes. Uh, we had uh, 
obviously the you know uh, journalists and and market participants uh, are quite uh, inventive in terms of new terms uh, we had the, the so-called moron premium when uh, you know the sterling fell and, and government bonds declined now that apparently is being replaced by a dullness dividend so so that sounds like the you know early reaction at least from from markets is is positive on the change in uh, in administration Thomas, I'm curious from from your end and the research that you've done on in terms of past crises. How does how does what's going on now compare to say the global financial crisis or or even the pandemic? Well, I think like like Dimitri said, the, the currently we're dealing with um, supply shocks, right? And and um, the global financial crisis was more of a demand uh, shock. So we had the real estate bubble in the in the U.S. and once house prices started to go down mortgages started to default. And because of the high leverage in the financial system, this caused enormous, enormous stresses. Now then central banks stepped in, they lowered interest rates, and you know, they had the quantitative easing programs, and also governments stepped in with stimulus, um, and they bought stakes in financial firms to, to save them. So the nature of this crisis was, was very different. Although some would say that the policy responses you know, at that time, and you know, maybe how long, um, they were maintained, maintained, might have led to some of the current vulnerabilities. But if we go back further in the past, and people also sometimes compare um, to the 70s with you know, surging oil prices as well, um, which is sort of a parallel. Um, but some say we might even go back to the 40s, because at that time we, we also had debt levels, um, and I'm talking here about private plus um, government debt, which were, which were really high. Interest rates were low at that point and and there was like large fiscal spending due to the the second world war and we see some elements of that now as well with you know increasing fiscal spending you know high debt levels um, and interest rates that had been low um, until a while ago so that's also an interesting parallel Demetrius also mentioned stability being important in the UK but Thomas again you know with your wider european lens on how are we looking elsewhere how, in Europe or, or throughout the world? Is, is stability possible in the short term? That, that's a good question. And I, I think we'll go through a period of um, higher, higher volatility. So um, as I mentioned earlier, like, there was this, you know, this pocket of leverage in, in, in the UK with the pension funds, and it somehow um, caused this, this violent market reaction. And I don't know what exactly could trigger it, but I can imagine something similar will happen in, in Europe. So um, we do have the tightening path that the ECB is on. But at the same time, they also have um, announced the transmission protection instrument, um, which is there to support sovereign bonds when the yields on those sovereign bonds wouldn't reflect um, the fundamentals. So for example, if Italian sovereign yields would go through the roof, they might start buying that. So we see that also in Europe, they have these instruments they might embark on, on similar bond buying programs as the as the bank of england to step in and calm markets and that's that's for a reason right so i, I can imagine that in europe we might see similar volatility in markets once uh, an episode like that occurs here hopefully what happened in the uk can uh, serve as a warning for other uh, you know economies around the world especially other governments around the world that uh, you know, even if you have some legitimate pro-growth policies like uh, tax cuts, 
um, the timing of announcing those policies, but also you know making sure that once when these such policies are announced, they are fully funded by other measures is critically important. It's critically important at any time, but especially in a time right now where we're experiencing or we have just experienced these pretty uh, you know severe supply side shocks. And we're also, you know, some uh, some would argue that we've also experienced policy mistakes recently, meaning with hindsight, we know that, uh, you know, governments and uh, central banks in response to the pandemic were perhaps too aggressive in some cases in in, uh, implementing loose monetary and fiscal policy, right? So now we're dealing with an environment where inflation is high. And, you know, the the best we can hope for, I think, is for, you know, very resolved and uh, concentrated uh, efforts to to address this high inflation. So, yeah, one thing I'd like to to add to that is that when we're speaking about central banks and and stability, I also think that the credibility of central banks is an important uh, important factor. So, you know, when when a central bank has a lot of credibility, they can move markets by merely saying it will do something like think about Mario Draghi's whatever it takes speech. But once credibility is lost, it's, it's hard to gain back. And, you know, they would need to take a lot stronger action, more aggressive action to achieve the same objective. And we've seen in, you know, in the UK that there were some U-turns um, at, at the Bank of England. So I think it's important for central banks to maintain that credibility and provide stability. Do central banks have that level of credibility now, especially given what Demetrius just said about looking back about their reaction during the pandemic? You know, I think the the premise that uh, independent central banks play an important role in, uh, you know, keeping inflation low and and promoting uh, economic growth, uh, that that premise is still very much valid. But central bank independence should not uh, be considered uh, to, to assume that policy should be uncoordinated. I think it's important for policy across governments and central banks to be coordinated. The authorities have these two important levers, you know, fiscal and, and, and monetary policy, and, and uh, you know, they need to be used in a thoughtful way, but also in a coordinated way, you know, depending on economic circumstances. And, and the circumstances we face now is, you know, double-digit inflation in, in most of the large economies around the world. And that must be the priority. In other words, you know, making sure that this high inflation doesn't become entrenched and especially high inflation expectations don't become entrenched. Yeah, I, I think that coordination is, is a very good point. And, and like, it's actually interesting what, what we see now that uh, on one hand, we have the central banks you know, tightening uh, monetary policy. At the same time, we see governments, you know, doing some fiscal stimulus, for example, in in Europe related to the, to the energy crisis or the increased energy prices. There have been liquidity provisions for utility companies which were facing margin calls. They're you know, talking about price caps on energy. So this is um, you know, some fiscal stimulus which kind of achieves the opposite of what, what, what the ECB is trying to do by tightening policy. And even on the, on the last ECB policy meeting, um, Christine Lagarde mentioned that she made a comment that fiscal spending should be targeted you know, to only those who need it, otherwise it will further fuel inflation. So I think this coordination is, a, I mean, I fully agree with Dimitri that it's an, an important uh, component of the solution. Have we 
had moments before, maybe the global financial crisis again, but others where we've seen this kind of coordination and how successful was it? Well, I, I think certainly the, the global financial crisis were a good example where we did have coordinated policy, not only between different authorities such as governments and central banks, but importantly, authorities across the world. So, so I think back then the reaction was pretty determined, swift, and it was coordinated across different jurisdictions around the world. Unfortunately, the, the political and the geopolitical environment today has changed, has deteriorated, and you know we may have um, less uh, less coordination across uh, different uh, you know countries. And certainly the evidence from this episode in the UK suggests that also coordination of action between uh, you know, different authorities within a country is, is as critical as ever. So as all of this is going on and, and central banks such as the Fed, ECB, Bank of England take action, what kind of reactions have we seen in other markets around the world? Yeah, I, I think it's... it's um... Similar environment in, in, in all these uh, in all these markets in the sense that they are uh, very much following what what central banks are are communicating what they're doing and I, yeah, I think that that's driving markets to a, to a large extent uh, I think all, all around the world central banking policy is a, is a main factor. So earlier on, Thomas, actually both of you mentioned the liquidity crisis that was going on in terms of leverage in UK pension funds. But is there any parallel between this leverage in the pension funds and what's going on with energy companies? There is a parallel in the sense that energy companies um, also entered into derivatives contracts to, to hedge their exposure to, to price fluctuations. But as energy prices soared, they were facing uh, collateral calls um, and, and they had liquidity issues. So um, in that sense, we, I mean, we can also... Uh, we, we see the parallel um, that also the, the you know, various European governments had to, to step in. They allocated funds to support these collateral requirements. You know, when there's, when there's leverage, liquidity constraints, and you know, in markets potentially crowding, um, then this can really you know, move markets in a, in a, in a very uh, violent way. And, and it's interesting also if you look at the, if you go back to the UK and, and the pension fund like at some point, the Bank of England was buying nominal guilds, but not um, inflation-linked guilds. And you know, moves in the break-even inflation yields coming from you know, basically used to price those uh, inflation-linked guilds. They were a lot more uh, violent than than the nominal guilds. And you should keep in mind that the private pension uh, sector in in the UK owns about seventy or eighty percent um, of the inflation-linked guilds. So you know, it's, it's, a, it's a crowded trade, so to say. So, you know, if, if these components are there and there is no buyer of last resorts, we can see, you know, really wild swings in, in, in markets. And, you know, after a couple of days, the, the Bank of England also stepped in into the inflation-linked markets to kind of support, uh, support those bonds too. And the interesting question is where, where it might happen next. So, Thomas, you mentioned about looking forward. Let's, let's go there. Um, keeping in mind, we have no idea what is going to happen. What are the kind of things that investors may be looking for, perhaps, beyond stability, as Demetrius mentioned? Uh, I, I think the energy crisis will, will play a crucial role. And the, the big question is whether we will see you know, high ener energy prices in 2023. Um, 
now they're coming down. Uh, I mean, speaking about Europe, um, they're coming down now because um, the natural gas reserves have been replenished. I think they're nearly full, and we have a, a relatively mild autumn here. Um, but the question is next, you know, after the winter next year, uh, the supply of energy won't be solved over the winter, I assume. So how will, you know, those energy prices be um, affected next, next year? And will governments have to, you know, continue uh, support their economies with, and with fiscal policies to, you know, to, uh, to counter those high energy prices? Like if we see a prolonged fiscal intervention to, to, to battle these high energy prices, then the risk for you know, higher medium-term inflation, um, of course, becomes higher. Also, how much will the monetary tightening slow down the economy? Like, how much damage will we will we see? Will will we enter you know a, a very deep recession, or um, or won't it be that bad? So we can think about um, you know some scenarios. We um, we looked at uh, I think you know a couple of scenarios, but two um, two stand out. One where the ECB policy causes like severe slowdown in the economy but manages to get inflation down and then another alternative scenario is where you know it's, it's a stagflation scenario where the ecb's credibility deteriorates like we were talking about earlier inflation expectations become unanchored and then long-term economic growth takes a hit and in our analysis we kind of looked at uh, you know portfolios of, of, of equities uh, and bonds and it's, it seems like that the speculation scenario would be the worst outcome for portfolios with you know, significant hits to both equities and, and bonds. So, so Adam, I, I'm afraid I'm uh, less optimistic compared to, to uh, Thomas. And uh, Thomas rightly described a range of scenarios. But I, I personally can only see two scenarios. One is bad and the other one is very bad. Uh, you know, the bad scenario is that the policymakers remain steadfast and committed to fighting inflation. Obviously, this would require coordinated fiscal monetary policies, uh, and it may very well lead to a global recession. But if we succeed in bringing inflation and inflation expectations down, at least the recession may be short, followed by a more benign period of economic and, and market conditions. So that's the bad scenario, right? Uh, the, the very bad scenario would be if we suffer policy mistakes, for example, if governments start, uh, start to, to um, you know, implement uh, unfunded tax cuts or increased spending, or even central banks you know, lose their nerve and stop uh, fighting inflation or stop tightening too soon. The risk there is that these high inflation expectations will become more entrenched, uh, and that may lead to a period of stagflation similar or even worse to what we actually had back in the 1970s. But actually, I think we should also highlight some positives that come out of the, the, the recent experience in the UK to some of our friends in other countries that may be laughing at how often we change prime ministers in the UK. I would tell them this is a feature. It's not a bug of our system, and it's a feature of liberal, liberal democracy. And, you know, we're able to remove our leaders when they fail and hopefully, uh, um, you know, bring uh, uh, leaders that will succeed in, in, in their role. Uh, I think we should also celebrate the fact that in the UK, we have replaced our third female prime minister with a new prime minister who comes from an ethnic minority and who's a second generation immigrant. So I think it's admirable and very positive and something to celebrate that, you know, we see diversity in action at the, you know, the higher levels of government in, in the UK. You were talking earlier about 
how maybe the policies from the global financial crisis lasted a bit too long. Could we be looking at another potential overreaction? I think uh, the danger is probably undercorrection, meaning in this case, uh, you know, we may see a tight monetary policy be abandoned too soon before we actually bring inflation under control. So, so here, I think I would more err on the side of let's keep our nerve, let's uh, have coordinated action to, to, because this is really what we're fighting against. And this is hopefully something that we can bring under control, this very high inflation that we haven't really seen for 40 years or more, right? And now, you know, the, there is pain involved, right? And we may even have a global recession. But as, as I mentioned earlier, if that were to happen, hopefully that will be relatively short. But again, we all need some, some good news as well from these different supply, supply shocks. And uh, uh, because the danger, the downside danger is stagflation. And that's really something that uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we can avoid. And then, Demetrius, I'd like to give you, as a resident of the UK, the last word here. If you had the opportunity to, to sit with the new prime minister, what words of wisdom, what advice would you give to him? Look, I, I wouldn't assume that I can provide advice to the new uh, prime minister. Uh, I think what we've experienced uh, in the UK, but globally as well, uh, with, uh, with Brexit, with some populist leaders... Uh, coming to power was a period that it was almost the end of expertise. That's an expression that we've, we've heard a lot. Uh, but hopefully what happened in the UK the last few weeks demonstrated that, um, you know, reality has uh, reasserted itself and, and expertise matters and, and taking into account consequences of policies and policy announcements is important. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe our grandparents were right. You can either have your cake or eat it. You cannot uh, have both, uh, which was one of the favorite uh, expressions of one of our former prime ministers. I think what's, what's important is uh, let's go into a period of uh, stability uh, with, um, you know, appropriate coordination of policy. And, and uh, you know, hopefully that will be critical in, uh, in, in helping us uh, weather the storm, the economic uh, storm over the, the coming few months and, and maybe a couple of years. That's all for this week. A big thank you from Joe and me to Demetrius and Thomas and to all of you for listening. As you know, we love feedback. So why not leave a rating or let us know what you think? In either case, we'll be back next time looking for answers to the questions investors are asking. Until then, I'm your host, Adam Bass, and this is MSCI Perspectives. Stay safe, everyone.